few weeks ago, a friend called me, he wanted to talk about an issue. Well, I've been trying to witness to him for seven years. I said, you name the time, I'll be there. And um, I met with him. And interesting that I've been praying for him and witnessing him for seven years. And I keep saying, Lord, when, when is he going to come to the kingdom? And then I read about George Mueller, prayed for somebody for over 20 years. I don't know, I got that kind of patience. And I um, had this opportunity to talk to him about whatever he wanted to talk about. And then he asked me, he said, what are you preaching on these days? I said, well, I'm actually preaching a series on the Ten Commandments. And he kind of grinned and said, well, you should have consulted me. I broke just about every one of them. (laughs) And then he stopped. He said, no, no, I take that back. I never killed anybody. So I waited. And then I said to him, I said, you know, you're a better man than me. Because I broke every one of those Ten Commandments. He was silent for a few seconds. And then he he turned to me and said, "Uh, have you been in the military? I said, no, no, I've never had that privilege. And, uh, well, (laughs) he's as if to say, you're not in prison. Uh, What are you doing here? (laughs) Then I said to him, before Christ came into my life, I murdered many people in my heart. I'll get back to that in a minute, but... Needless to say, it gave me another new opportunity to witness to him about the incredible grace of God through which we are saved and not through the keeping of the law. The sixth commandment is one of the shortest. And it is not thou shalt not kill, as it is in the King James Version. But really, basically, literally, you can say it in two words. Murder not, or do not murder, as it is in some translations. Why is that important? Because there are eight words in the Hebrew language, and many of them are translated kill. And the same in the old translation, says kill. Eight different words. They're all translated into English as murder or kill. And yet, the sixth commandment, the word that is used there, is so unique and seldom used anywhere else. And it stands tall above all the other seven Hebrew words. Why? Because the Bible is making a distinction between lawful killing and unlawful killing. For example, the word that is used for killing in terms of the government exercising capital punishment is a different word. The word that is used for killing that is purely out of self-defense is a different word. The word that is used for killing in the times of war is a very different word. All different to the word that is used here in the sixth commandment, you shall not murder or murder not. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Listen carefully. It means that the sixth commandment is specifically directed to murder in cold blood. That the sixth commandment is specifically directed to killing with passionate rage. That the sixth commandment is specifically directed uh, to, to killing with impunity. That the sixth commandment is specifically directed to killing unjustly. Now I want you to hear me right of what I'm going to tell you. Because that means that the sixth commandment does not apply to capital punishment. There's another word for that. The sixth commandment does not apply to killing purely for self-defense. There's another word for that. The sixth commandment does not apply to the killing of animals. There's another word for that. 
It does not apply to killing as in times of war. There's another word for that. The sixth commandment is specifically directed to taking life unlawfully, unjustly. Because taking life unlawfully, taking life unjustly does two things. It violates God's sovereignty because He is the one who gives life and He alone can take away life. Because killing unlawfully, it robs God of His glory. And that is why, listen to me please, that is why abortion, euthanasia, infanticide, and the rest of them have created a culture of death. They have created a culture of unlawful death. They've created a culture of murder. They've created a culture of breaking of God's sixth commandment. And we should not be surprised, therefore, that when a culture of death has been created... When violence and rage takes place inside a woman's womb, that sooner or later, violence will take place outside of the womb. I want you to hear me right on this one. Once we legalize a culture of death, there is no stopping. There is no stopping. The American Psychological Association published the following that by the time the average child finishes elementary school, by the time they finish elementary school, not high school or middle school, elementary school, they'd have watched 8,000 televised murders. They would have watched 100,000 acts of on-screen violence. Back to my friend who was shocked at my admission of my breaking of the Sixth Commandment. But you know, I thought about it, reflected on this puzzlement that I saw in his face when I said, I am a breaker of the sixth commandment. And I realize, of course, that most people would be puzzled too. He's not alone in this. I think most people do not see themselves as murderers. They really don't. And that is why I want you to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Beginning of verse 21. Matthew 5, 21. This is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. It's preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. There are no loopholes in the Bible. Those who say, I am off the hook, I have never really committed this particular, broken this particular commandment. Jesus comes in here in Matthew 5, he's plugged that hole and says, no, not only killing, murdering in cold blood, but also the thinking of anger that kills. Those who are looking for loopholes will be shocked at the words of Jesus. In fact, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, no one but no one but no one can get off the hook without Jesus. Because he alone is the one who paid for the wages of our sins. We can't get into heaven because I said, well, you know, I kept one, missed one, kept one, missed one. Well, I got news for you. It ain't going to work. The Bible said you break one, you broke them all. And the only hope that any of us have is the forgiveness of sin 
by the Lord Jesus Christ who kept all the commandments perfectly. In fact, the Lord Jesus is saying this. No one is off the hook. Every one of us at some point in our lives have become so angry at someone that we wished they were dead. Have you been there? I have. I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute. (laughs) But you know, those who are looking for loopholes, in fact, I thought of this story about uh, W.C. Fields, a television producer who, who was a renegade. He was a drunk. And, and, and um, one day he was on his deathbed. And the friend came to visit him. And he was reading the Bible. And he said, what? What are you doing? Are you looking for answers? He said, no, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> Best of luck. And no, he didn't find any. And that's why Jesus was plugging all the loopholes in Matthew chapter 5. Someone may say, well, Michael, 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 wait a minute. That means I'll never have a chance. Yes, you do. I want you to listen to me very carefully. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that anger is a subtle form of murder. It may not kill the body, but it can kill the soul and the spirit of another person. Hatred towards somebody can cause just as much damage to the soul of that person as a gun would kill his body. You remember growing up with those words, sticks and stones may break my bones? But what? Words never hurt me. That is the biggest false statement I've ever heard. It is false through and through. Why? Because words can cause as much damage as sticks and stones do to the body. So what is Jesus saying here in Matthew 5 is this. He's saying murder is a fruit of the tree. Anger and hatred and revengefulness is the root of the tree. It's the root system. The fruit just does not appear from nowhere on a tree that is rootless. No. The tree has to have roots if it's going to bear fruit. And the fruit comes out of a tree, and every tree has a root. And what Jesus is telling us is this. Listen carefully. He's saying you must deal with the root And then the fruit will take care of themselves. True. Often, most often, in fact, most times, that only you and me and each one of you, I mean, and God can see the root. Sometimes even people can't see the root in their lives either. But God does. That's true. But if you do not take care of that root, sooner or later, the fruit is going to show up. And that is why the Bible speaks of the root of bitterness. Did it ever occur to you why does not the Bible speak about the fruit of bitterness? After all, we see bitterness appear in in, in its various varieties when it comes out. But no, no, no. The Bible speaks about the root of bitterness, not the fruit of bitterness. Why? Because the roots are hidden from view. The roots are underground. You can't see them. The roots are beneath the surface. And you could be walking around and saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And everybody looks around and doesn't see bad fruit and says, well, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And because the root of bitterness is hidden from view, and only you know it. In Matthew 5, Jesus exposes the root of murder. And he says, take care of the root before the tree begins to bear fruit. Take care of the root and you'll never have to worry about the fruit. There are basically... Three forms of rage or anger. Now, there are some people who have more than those three, but generally speaking, you 
average person has either one or two or even all three of them. And I want to share them with you. First, there is the repressed anger or rage. Then there is the resentful rage. Then there is the revengeful rage. What does that repressed anger look like? Well, it's like Job. Job kept on receiving bad news. And as he kept on receiving this bad news, he never once looked up to heaven and said, God, what are you doing? God, why? What's going on here? Could you just please tell me? Why? One thing after the other. But instead, you know, the dear man, here he said, oh, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God bless him. I just can't do that. (laughs) And everybody says, wow, Job. Oh, he must be a wonderful man. What a strong man. What a tough guy he is. And everybody was admiring him. Then came Job's comforters. <laughs> So-called friends. I said, with friends like that, who needs enemies? And his comforters come in and said, Job, my boy, <laughs> you must have done something wrong. You must have been so bad to get all these bad things. Surely you must have just broken the can. You just can't remember. You must have done this and you must have done that. And poor old Job. <laughs> At that point, his repressed anger flared up. And instead of asking God why, he accused God falsely. There is a repressed anger, but then there is resentful anger. And these are the folks who never get over their resentments. Resentful anger, of course, causes all kinds of depression. And I'm not going to get into this. And I'm not a psychiatrist. But do you remember the old brother in the prodigal story in Luke chapter 15? Remember the story? Luke 15. The older brother, well, he was a good boy, wasn't he? I mean, he stayed home. He took the garbage out every week. <laughs> he sang in the choir. I mean, he was a choir boy over, all over. Man, he did all the right things. He was just fine. <laughs> but he had such repressed and resentful anger inside of him toward his rebellious brother that even when his brother repented and returned to his father, he was so angry he wouldn't go inside the house. Then there is a revengeful rage. Those are the folks who want to get even (laughs) at any cost. I mean, they say, I don't get mad, I get even. In fact, the worse it gets for those people whom they hate, the object of their hate, the more they are happy. (laughs) Listen to what Friedrich Buchner said about this type of rage. Quote, of the seven deadly sins, anger possibly the most fun. (laughs) To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor the last taste of toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for kings. The chief drawback is what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. But you know what? I always like to move away from the problem and into solutions. I always like to move from the problem, once I identify the problem, to answers to the problem. I love creativity. I am like most men. I tend to be a problem solver. 
Don't take me through the process. I'm immediately thinking of the answer before the person finished talking. You know, have you been there? But you know, we think creatively about our business. We think creatively about everything else. Why don't we think creatively about spiritual matters? Why don't we think creatively about eternal matters? In fact, I love the story of the man who was in his 80s. And he went for his annual physical. And the doctor, after he checked him out and he came back, he said, Man, you're in best shape I've ever seen any man of your age. He said, What's your secret? Well, he said, Well, you know, about over 50 years ago when we were married, my wife and I made an agreement. And the agreement is this. If I get angry with her, she would be silent. But if she gets angry with me, I go for a run. (laughs) So I've been running ever since. (laughs) That's a healthy way of dealing with it. But let me give you the ABC's solution to the anger problem. The ABC tools to anger problem. And let me tell you up front, they come out of the very depth of my heart and experience. That's not a theory for me, and I'm going to tell you at the end how I came up with this ABC. A, admit your anger. B, brainstorm your response in the light of the Word of God. And C, control your anger God's way. Admit your anger. You know, Job had to come to the point of openly confessing his anger. And until he came to that point, healing had not begun in his life. And let me tell you, in 7.11, it's Job 7.11, not the store. But if you want to remember it that way, that's fine by me. In 7.11, he said, I will speak out in my anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. At a boy, Job. (laughs) He's a man after my own heart. Get it out to God, not to people. You know, the Bible said, let your moderation be known to people and your needs known to God. Most Christians do. They reverse it. They let all their needs known to people and their moderation toward God. They want to bother God, but they want to bother everybody else. Now, he let his anger confess to God. Now, it is hard to deal with a problem if you don't admit it to God. Not only that God already knows the problem. He knows the difficulty. He knows your temperament. He knows your heart. He knows everything. But he wants you to articulate it to him. And why does he want you to confess it and articulate it and admit it to him? Because he and he alone is the one who can truly empower you to overcome your anger problem. Somebody said, and I love it. He said, if you don't. Talk it out with the Lord, you'll take it out on people. I want you to hear me right, please. This is important. Anger is not the problem. You must understand that. Anger, very often, is legitimate. It's a a legitimate and it's a natural expression of our emotions. And that is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.26, he said what? He said, in your anger, do what? Sin not. In your anger, what? Sin not. He's not saying, don't ever get angry. No, no, no. He would be unrealistic. He said, but when you get angry, be sure you don't sin. Second, B, brainstorm your response in the light of the Word of God. Your response to anger. If you give yourself time to think through the cause of anger in the light of the Word of God, you will respond to anger in a godly way. I know the old advice that says, you know, count to 10 before you say anything. Doesn't work. I tried it. Doesn't work. (laughs) 
Counting by itself just doesn't work. It's like the little boy who came home with a black eye. And his mother said, what happened? What happened? I I told you not to get into fights. Didn't I tell you to count to 100 before you get into a fight? And the boy said, mom, I did. (laughs) But the other boy's mother told him to count to 50. (laughs) If you allow the word of God to put your mind in gear before you release the brakes of your mouth, you're going to find yourself responding to anger with constructive ways rather than destructive ways. Listen to what James said. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He didn't say, don't get angry. He just said, be slow in the process of your anger. Admit, brainstorm. Thirdly, control your anger God's way. You know, at least to me, the best way to control my anger God's way is to force myself. Yes, force. It doesn't come naturally to your pastor. I'm confessing it to you. It does not come naturally. It might come to you. God bless you. I thank God for you. That's wonderful. Let me know how do you do it. That's good. But it doesn't come naturally to me. But you force yourself to pray for the person who is the object of your anger. Pray for that person who made you angry. It's not easy. I know that. But when you ask God to enable you to pray for the person, he will do it. And you will be able to. I try always to begin my day with the words of the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Then I stop. I said, no. Lord, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say, let the words of my lips and the meditation of my mind be controlled by you. And when you, you are in control... Of the words of my mouth and the mind and the heart and the seat of the will, then they'll be acceptable to you. I told this story several years ago, but I, I, it's worth retelling. And the reason I do this, it is a, with a prayer in my heart that will help some of you, will bless some of you, will encourage some of you. And the truth is this when I was a young man, I had a ferocious temper. I was so quick on the trigger that I didn't care who was destroyed in the process. I responded quick and fast, and I used the excuse, my father had a short temper, his father had a short temper, my uncle had a short temper, it's in the genes, it's a lie, it's a lie from the pit of hell. So I came to the Lord at a time in my life, and I said, Lord, there's no way I can be a minister of the gospel. When I cannot control my anger and my rage, boy, did I tell you. I mean, I'm like you. I was praying, thinking that God's going to zap me and I'm going to be delivered and it's going to be over. And I wake up the next morning very happy and calm and, and you know, never respond. It didn't work that way. I, I, I pray. I mean, I believe that God can deliver fast, but I'm telling you, the sanctification process is that. It's a process. And I did not know that the training program was going to be painful. At the age of 24... I got a word that the vice president of the seminary was adamant and argued to the academic committee that I must never progress from my first year on the second year and on in seminary. And he was building up an argument that is not true because he never taught me anything. I've never really dealt with the man, so I know I worked hard. I passed all my exams. I've done better than I even thought I could do. And for reasons that only known to him, That will become known to me later. He was adamant about this. But he was overruled by the rest of the committee. He was a voice of one. Thank God. Otherwise, probably I wouldn't be here today. 
Now, when I heard what happened, the first thing I want to do is I want to go and put my fist in his face. I mean, I want to give him a piece of my mind. I want it to react just the way I normally react to situations. And what does he know? And who would... I? And then I remembered. And here's really the irony. It's really an irony. It's exactly two months earlier that I prayed for the Lord to deliver me from my rage and anger. Two months. And I remember that I had just prayed this. And I began to follow my own advice that I'm giving this to you right now. As I said, it doesn't come out of a theory. It doesn't come out of a book. It comes out of my heart. And I went to the Lord and I confessed to the Lord. And I told the Lord how I feel. And, and, and I tried to pray for the man. Ooh, that was hard. Ah, the words were coming out of my mouth. I mean, ah, every time I mention his name, it stucks in my throat. You know, I couldn't get it out. And you know, after I prayed, the Lord said, okay, go invite him to dinner at your house. Ah, come on, Lord. I mean, anything but that. He said, you asked to be delivered, didn't you? Yes, Lord. He said, invite him to dinner at your house. No, not dinner, Lord, because I could poison the guy. I mean, I was so mad at him. Yeah. Don't, let him be, don't let him be dependent on me. But I, in obedience, did exactly what the Lord said. The evening didn't go necessarily very well. I remember it. But I trusted the Lord's counsel because I truly wanted to be controlled by the Lord, not by my anger. I wanted to control my anger God's way. Bottom line, I won't bore you with the details. Twelve months later, I was in the presence of this man in which he was apologizing to me and confessing that for reasons of his own personal experiences and prejudice, he wanted to destroy me while he really did not know me very well. But you know, later on, we became very good friends and we still do. We're still great friends now today, many, many years later. And for several decades now, for several decades, I have followed this ABC counsel that I just shared with you. It works. Try it. It works. Admit your anger to God. Brainstorm the Word of God. Control your anger God's way. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.